When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is a Lucky Land production. Hello and welcome back to the latest Love Tennis podcast. Got the name right this week. Always a good start. It's George Belshaw. James Gray. Hello, James. Hello. I think that's a record for how quickly you've got in. Well, and I'm on brand new technology, so I'm intrigued to know how I sound. You sound lovely. Hello, Calvin. <laughs> First time for everything. You sound Hello, guys. How are we doing? James, I'd say. But quite, loud. Just my head- quite loud. I don't know if that's just my headphones. Maybe I've got them out okay. louder than well, usual. We'll do some work with levels. I apologise in advance for any technical. I've had no, the I... temerity to put headphones on and have a microphone on them. Yeah, I, I think actually, to be fair, it, I, I might have just had my phone turned okay. up louder than usual. But we'll find out that afterwards is... in levels. Um, I <laughs> Normally, I normally get to do like a 30 or 40 second little monologue at the start. And I, I only got... 10 seconds in I, I literally just said the name well of the podcast. everyone will be deprived of your love life and the other things going it's on, a shame well I, I, prob- I, I, probably I for just, the best <laughs> all i was going to say this week was uh, i'm on a one week countdown mode um to tennis returning in the uk i know we've got to talk about this professional nonsense but i'm pretty excited seven oh, days to you're play going again. to get to play yeah yeah i haven't okay. played since early december and I know that the fans have found that very difficult to cope with. They but... have. I have to say, I've been absolutely chock-a-block booked up next week. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I... I don't play as much competitive tennis as you do, but I have been playing a lot of rounds of golf in my head. Like, I have played a lot of rounds of golf in my head lately. So, yeah, when, when I mean, I don't, because I'm living somewhere quite unusual to me, I don't have anyone to play golf with around here, but it certainly won't stop me. That's the yeah, good thing about golf, you see. You're playing your own. Well, Tim Henman good... is quite good, and he's near you, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he might embarrass me. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you got in touch with him about your Wi-Fi one week, didn't you, James? Uh, well, so. <laughs> Tim and I, Tim and I are developing that. I mean, I did interview Greg Rosetsky today, but I don't know whether he's quite so nearby. I don't know if anyone. Uh... Calvin, you got an idea where Greg Rosetsky lives without actually giving away his location? 
I think he's London, I think. Wow, that is I see him at the NTC relatively often. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. he can't be too far away from there. All right, yeah. very good. Well, um, we should get on with the podcast. You can hear George Belshaw. Hello, how are you? There he is, Calvin. How are you? Very well, very well. Hope you That's guys Calvin Beton. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, I know we have a lot of new listeners uh, lately. They're the two men. I'm James Gray uh, from I and iNews.co.uk. George, of course, from Metro, and Calvin off of tennis coaching fame. Uh, we've got loads to talk about today. We'll be going not, through the... Not just tennis Sorry? coaching fame, broadcasting fame now, James. George, George we're coming, we're coming to Calvin. Fame. We're coming to Calvin hitting the big time, but while we've still got our fingertips <laughs> hanging on to his coattails, I'd like to delay that, at least for a little bit. Um, we've got loads coming up today. We'll talk about Calvin's big break. Uh, a slew of withdrawals from Miami, not related, I'm told. Uh, tricky first round draw for Andy Murray, uh, a debut for a Brit with a big future. And we'll also catch up talking of big futures on our Young Player of the Year predictions. But it's been a big week for a couple of those that we marked out for success at the beginning of the year. But first, as you mentioned, George Calvin, you've had a, a big weekend. Well, I mean, bigger weekends than any of us have had for months. Uh, but commentating <laughs> rather than anything else uh, on the UK Pro League, obviously the second week of that. Um, now that you've largely left us in your wake and sold your soul to the devil, um, how did you find the experience of sitting in a, a different chair and, and not being able to coach, but rather having to commentate? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good weekend. Uh, it was a different experience, sort of learning about that side of things. Uh, tennis was good. Um, some really good matches, good good standard. Um, and yeah, so now I've hit the big time. I'll, I'll have a rider for you two boys to uh, <laughs> li- list list of demands for next week's podcast. Yeah, I, I, um, I've heard you're tripling your fee, but yeah, my, three my, times my, zero my, is still zero. Yeah, my <laughs> agent will be in touch with my demands. So, um, <laughs> uh, oh dear. But no, yeah, it was it was really good. It's a re- they're really good events. Um, the people presenting it and the co-commentators, I can't thank them enough. They were a great mm. help to me. Excellent pros, all of them. Um, and yeah, it's back in two weeks' time, so I'm excited for that. I was going to say, this is starting to sound like an Oscars speech, this Cal. Just... <laughs> yeah. You haven't thanked your parents. You've like forgotten said, to thank I've, your I've parents. Hit the, I've hit the big time now, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously, Anton Matusevic took victory in, in the men's. Uh, incidentally, I, I haven't watched a huge amount of Anton, certainly not recently, uh, but I think he might have the biggest shoulders of any man in the top 1,000. I mean, he looks like a linebacker. He's an unbelievably you, you, large man. You could lose the top 1,000 there and just have any man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a huge, huge unit um, and, like, carved out of stone as well. Um, but he's a very good tennis player. He's a really fast mover around the court. He's got a nice touch. He's, he's got serious weapons. Hmm. He's a very uh, good player. Uh, I also wanted to ask you about, because Emily Appleton, I think, has now won both weeks of UK Pro League in the women's draw. Yeah. She's only, am I right in saying she's only dropped one set? Um, uh, yeah, she dropped. She didn't drop a set this week at all. Is that, is that a surprise? I mean, what, looking at the rankings going into it all, was she someone you looked at and went, well, she will probably walk this? Or is this a bit of a surprise? Um, it's a little bit of a surprise. She's a very good player. She's got a complete game and the, the, the court surface suits Emily pretty well. She's got a very big serve. Um, mm. Got a big forehand, volleys really well. Um She's with the way that these things work because it's group stages. Um, she sort of she had a nice little run. I'm not going to say she had a good draw, she still had to beat the players, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, the players, so last week she lost a set to Freya Christie, um, who 
I think Freya was the highest ranked player in the draw, but she was in the other group this time. And Freya, because it's it's a group stages and you have Champions tie breaks, Freya sort of got herself in a, a bit of trouble twice and got herself in Champions tie breaks and lost a couple, I think, and ended up not making the semis because of that. But um, she would have been the highest ranked player who's caused Emily trouble a bit of trouble before, but she didn't have to come across her this time. But, you know, you can't fault her. You, she's won seven matches. She won 14 sets in a row there. Mm, it's impressive stuff. Uh, week three, you were back in, what, 10 days' time now, are we, or not? Or we got a week off and then a week back on? The week, there's two weeks off, so they'll okay. be back. I'll just look at my calendar. Just after they'll Easter? Back, yeah, they'll be back on the 5th, on the 5th of Lovely. April. Okay, um, Easter coming up on us very quickly. Yeah, on BT, BT Sport Red Button, it's usually on, and... At the weekends, it's on. Uh, sorry, it's BT Sport Red Button and or BT Sport Extra, and on YouTube. And at the weekends, just on BT Sport Three. So if you can't get enough Calvin Beton here on a Monday night, anywhere you want on demand through the week, and then get you through the weekend on BT Sport Three. What more could you want uh, from life? Let's move on before Calvin's head gets so big it actually explodes. Um, <laughs> last week's champions. Go through our role of honour. Alexander Zverev picking up a title in Acapulco. Aslan Karatsev winning a first ATP title in Dubai. Uh, I mean, one of those things is much more remarkable than the other. Although, George, I do know that Alexander Zverev played through an earthquake. He did, yeah. Um, can you, can you expand? Uh, yeah, I think it was in the semi-final match. I can't even remember who was playing now. My head, my head's not with it today. Um but they, yeah, it was just the middle of a point, wasn't it? He was having a, a rally, and uh, suddenly the court started moving. And they, they played pretty chi- They It was pretty chilled. Like, they didn't really do much, but it, there was a good shake and rumble, and you could kind of see it. But they, they carried on, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he was playing Dominic Kupfer. Um, That's it. That's it. He swept aside with ease, and then uh, played Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final. Um, no love lost in that particular matchup, obviously, George and, and Zverev coming out on top in some decent format. I suppose, I mean, this might be a bit oversimplistic, but Acapulco traditionally conditions that would suit Zverev a bit more than Sisi Pass. Um, that's a good question. I, I, I would say it kind of suits them equally, depending on who's serving better on that day. Um, right, OK. I, <laughs> I, I think both are capable of being pretty pretty good on that surface there um yeah I, I i don't know i mean i think it's not been a matchup that's been great for zvera for that really against sissipas in the past um mm. I, I, I mean presumably because they've played at quite big stages and yeah. Zverev doesn't like a big stage yeah and i think you know again the, the fact they don't like each other it just seems Zverev hasn't particularly handled that very well um but i also, Sissipas has normally had a pretty good record against Ogier Aliassim, and he beat him there as well. So perhaps they're just flipping mm. the head to heads around at this tournament. Matchup match wise, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Calvin, what, I mean, should that, should that be one that Tsitsipas can get after him or not? It's one of those strange ones that they've played against each other probably all their lives, right from sort of 12 and unders. They're, I think they're one year apart, is there, in age? Right. One of them might be a 97, one's 98, or are they both 97s, maybe? Um, Berthier, that is. So, but they've definitely played each other a fair bit. I mean, they played each yeah, other seven played times against, as pros. Yeah, and then sort of they'll have played so many times in junior tournaments, and I'd say probably from under 14s upwards. So there's a bit of history there, and 
it's difficult because although we say it seven times as pros and that's the record, when they're playing in it, they won't see it as that. They'll count all the times that they've played each other hmm. um, since since juniors. So yeah. um, I don't really know the reason why they don't like each other. They're, they're different characters. Um, City Pass is a bit like a hippie, isn't he? And uh, <laughs> Zverev isn't uh, to, yeah. for a, <laughs> for to say the least. Description. Yeah. Um, I, so, yeah. I, I think I know. I think I know where the beef comes from. If I'm honest. Um, Basically, in, in 1994, Julia Apostoli got to the final of a tournament in Athens and she beat 6 Love 6 3 Irina Zvereva. Okay. That is Stefanos' mother <laughs> beating Sasha's mother. If, okay. that's not good pro- if that's not good providence for beef, I don't know what is. Since that fated day, almost exactly, does some dodgy maths, 27 years ago. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I tell you what, if the Athletic did tennis, that is a feature that would 100% be being written as we speak, from 4th there's, of April 1994. There's actually a, a, there's actually a similar sort of, I won't go into the details because it's, it's not fair on the two people, there's two British players who have a similar background who do not like each other and it's all down to their mums playing against each other uh, <laughs> in, in sort of junior tennis. So, Brilliant. I mean, you know, if your dad doesn't like someone or your mum doesn't like someone, you tend not to like them because that's, that's where you learn it from. I like to think that the, this very CT pass thing goes back generations. You know, like, they're fat, like the Capulets and the, uh, the Montagues, they've been pitted against each other for the last three centuries and Stefanos stands there and bites his thumb at Sasha and Sasha bites his thumb back and all of a sudden... And maybe, maybe Stefanos' sister will fall in love with Sasha's brother. I don't know. It could happen. Romeo and Juliet of tennis. Am I getting distracted? It's quite a bit. A bit. <laughs> okay, well, I'll talk about Aslan Karatsev because I could do it all day. Uh, he picked up his first ATP title in Dubai. Uh, I mean, realistically, again, without talking about court speed too much, in very favourable conditions for a man playing as well as he is and the type of tennis that he's playing. Georgie had Lloyd Harris in the final, which... Again, we've said this before, and no disrespect to Lloyd Harris, but in terms of first ATP finals for someone, not a bad opponent to come up against. It's not, but I think Karatsev deserves a lot of credit for the week of the players he beat on the way to getting there. Um, <clears throat> Dan Evans was one of the first rounds, wasn't it? That's, that's yeah. a good result. Um, outside the slams, Dan's played pretty well for a while, very solid. Top 13, that was in three. Um Yannick Sinner, Andre Rublev, Sinner, that's of course. It. Sinner and Rublev, that's it. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was going to say, you know, Rublev is the standout result given his results at that level. Um, mm. But Sinner, as well, we all, you know, we've raved about him millions of times on this podcast. We think he's brilliant. Um, and Karatsev's gone through him in straights, I think. Um, so, well, he you know, lost the first set. He lost, oh, he lost very, the first set, that one. Sorry, very Rube- close first I've set. And he went to three sets with both. I mean... Calvin, the, the Rublev victory obviously stands out. I watched quite a lot of that match, and what blew me away was, well, for a start, the level was very high. Rublev playing very good tennis at the moment, as his character. But it was that same feeling in the Australian Open where watching him and I was going, well, you just have to stay with him because he can't keep hitting lines like this. He, he, he's simply statistically unlikely, and yet he, he just still did. Yeah, it, it, he's just riding on such a wave of confidence at the minute. People keep asking me, like, what, what's changed? But 
I think a sort of combination of he had some good form and then at the Aussie Open, although he did phenomenally well, I think a few people, including maybe you, James, clocked that his draw was quite kind for a um, for a, a, a qualifier. Mm. But he still had to win. And then because yeah. of that, he's then riding on the confidence, as, as you would if you made a semi-final of a slam. Um, so... It, it, it's just it's just right on confidence like that's all there is to say about it and he's legitimately one of the top 10 players in the world this year <clears throat> yeah he, I mean he's up to number 27 uh, in the world now which basically means he is going to be seeded for uh, French Open I think George you're, you're waving at me frantically I was just I was just saying I was ready to speak next, James, whenever it comes oh, up. Oh, OK, sorry. The, I thought you looked very My Wi-Fi has been really funny. No, my Wi-Fi has been a bit funny. I've just had to swap networks. So I was just oh, checking, checking it all work. But I was going to say... You're I'm, still you know, in the game. On, on that point of character, you know, he's only lost two matches this year, hasn't he? I think to uh, team and Djokovic. So it's... And, uh, to be honest, I think the team defeat's quite a bad result. Because Todd Dominic seems like terribly this year. <laughs> I think he probably should. But no, I mean, I'm sort of joking. But seriously... Dominic team isn't fully fit. He's got this foot problem that he's had since childhood, but he says it's getting worse, and he's not playing very well. Uh, anyway, neither here nor there. But you're right. You know, it's not a bad list of guys only to have beaten him in in, in Djokovic and and team. Uh, wh- what makes you think this isn't going to go away? Because I think I think in six months' time we're not going to be talking about Azan Karatsev anymore. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I I don't really know where to start with carrots of really just in terms of I, I just don't understand how this has happened like to quite <laughs> this degree. Like I, I mean that in the in the nicest way possible because obviously you know okay he had like an injury or something in 2015 2016 but his results before that weren't suggesting this is someone who you know the way he's playing as you say is top ten form at the moment. Um, th- there's been no suggestion this has ever been the case um, and yeah sure a time away in a pandemic you can maybe think yeah I want, want to get my career together and make this happen um, but and of course you know he's come back and he's gone through challenger events and been on it <clears throat> but then to even take that straight into the top tour levels yeah that is confidence but still I mean it's crazy to me like that he's kind of come through this way. I guess what I would say, as we've kind of alluded to before, is that given his game style, it is one of those things where confidence can just make you max out. Um, mm. you know, if he's not missing and hitting as big as he does, then yeah, he can kind of come through. I, I, just, I just find it hard to believe more than anything that he never had these confidence streaks earlier in his career so much. You know what I mean? Like I... I kind of think you'd look and see bigger, and maybe Calvin knows him from lower level, and this ha- has happened more. I'm just a little bit surprised it's really taken him this long from what we're seeing of this guy at the moment. Yeah, the shots have always been there. He's not hitting better shots. I was, you know, I said I sent somebody over the weekend. I think the thing what what people often mistake about the levels in tennis, the difference from sort of 800 to 300 and 300 to 100 is. The top level, there's no difference. So you'll get players at 800 or 300 who, are, who their best stuff is as good as the guys who are ranked 50 in the world. The difference is their bottom level, what their 6 out of 10 level is and what they bring bring with that. And maybe Karatsev's just in, improved his bottom level a little bit. But 
I think that the career he'll end up having from now on in, from a, I think career he's already 27, so maybe the sort of what we'll see from him in the next couple of years is probably a similar career to what Dimitri Tursunov had, if, if anyone remembers him, where mm. he'll sort of hover between sort of 15 and 30, in the, 15 and 50 in the world maybe, and have a couple of tournaments a year where he just blows people away because that's the way he plays, but no real level of consistency in it. He'll keep his ranking on the basis of making semis and finals rather than consistently making quarterfinals, if you will. I was just going to say, on Tersonov, that's always a, a name that makes me laugh a little bit, um, quite randomly. But I don't know if you remember years ago, John McEnroe said of Serena Williams she'd be something like world number 700 in the men's game or something. Like yeah. He picked a number out like that that was yeah. really low. And the guy who was there was Dmitry Tursunov, <laughs> like a <laughs> former like top twenty men's player. <laughs> yeah, it was like one of those examples. It was just like, oh dear. But yeah, look, Calvin is absolutely right there. I mean, like, yes, the level's not that different. I don't know. I, I, I suppose what I'm saying is that he strikes me as someone who gets very hot for quite yeah. a long period of time, and and that. That's more what I'm saying. And I, I've not been through and studied his results, whatever. But it seems to me like he gets confident and streaks and streaks and goes and goes. Maybe it's just needed this one massive, massive streak. But the consistency he's had on this really long streak makes me surprised there weren't smaller streaks lower down in his career. Do you know what I mean? I think that's kind of where I'm coming from there. Well, look, I mean, something's going to happen because one of the... He's either going to drop off form, or if this form continues the way he's playing, he'll be world number one by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it's impossible yeah. for players to live with him. He's just if if somebody is just hitting winners at the rate that Karatsev is all the time, he'll win enough matches to be world number one, and he's not going to be world number one. Believe me, but and it, and it, he's not got the type of game style. Clip that. that. Would mean. Clip that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is coming from the person who said about three years ago that Djokovic would never win another slam. So, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. Mistakes have been made. I, I, I don't I, see him being... So if To be, say, number eight in the world, you've got to be consistent with your results. Sort of the odd tournament won't get it done. And I don't think that will happen. I, I think he'll... Yeah, I think he'll hang well, around the top 30. You know, he's a clay court specialist. Like, it's like he's not even in his career. I mean, I, I'm, again, uh, I'm not joking. Clay is his best surface, which which kind of seems completely incongruous to me with the way he plays. He doesn't look like someone who's going to battle well on a clay court, does he? But, you know, he takes the ball early, maybe he takes time away from people on a surface where you can't necessarily do that all the time. I, I don't know, but I don't know what his clay court plans are. I know that he's, he's going to Miami without his coach because his coach can't get a visa. Um, so he's in Miami on his own. But then yeah. he said there's another tournament in the States, the name of which I can't remember, uh, which he is going to play if he bombs out of um, Miami early. But then he's going to come back and obviously switch to clay. I mean, look, he's number 27 in the world now, which means that he can go where he wants. You know, he, he, he's got direct entry into everything. He's not going to have to play qualies anywhere. He's not going to have to rely on any wild cards. So, you know, we're about to talk about getting a dodgy draw because you haven't got a decent ranking. He's going to get the opposite of that now. It's all, I always find it with the ranking system, and it's different at the moment, but it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's like getting up to a ledge. It's blooming hard to pull yourself up from a ledge, but once you're up there, it, it's quite hard to fall off again. Yeah, definitely. And, 
and he's got exactly that. You know, I, I'm trying to remember who he's drawn in in Miami. I've actually got the draw open somewhere, but it's it's no one particularly impressive. Oh, it's this bloke called Bai. So you know, he's into the second round in Miami already, and then he's potentially going to play Britain's Jack Draper, who I think we'll come on to in a moment. Um, I, was, I was just going to say on that point that I was actually on a different podcast earlier this afternoon. I know, very, very Sorry, treacherous what? of me. I know, disgraceful. Dreadful. Unbelievable. Um, I was on as, a, as an esteemed guest of that podcast rather than... Says a um, lot about the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it was very nice. Uh, match point Canada. Um, but they, oh, yes. they, we were, they were asking me about Carrot Sev as well. And the, they, said they, they put in quite a funny example of what you've just said. And they were saying... Uh, we kind of thought he was going to be a Marco Cecinato, uh, another example okay. of someone who kind of like bolted out of the blue and then pretty much died quickly. And they were asking me whether I thought he'd be the same or not. And I, I, I didn't think he's going to drop off that dramatically. But it is just an example. Can people can run into these hot forms? But I suppose Carrot Serves now realistically has been like a year long hot form, hasn't it? Really? Or yeah, I mean that, that is worth pointing out. He was playing extremely well you know, at challenger level, admittedly. But I think he, he won something like 23 out of 24 matches um, in, like, Eastern Europe at the back end of the summer and at the beginning of the autumn. And he nearly qualified for the French Open, uh, the, the September French Open. He lost to Sebastian Corder in the third round of qualities. So, you know, he very nearly got and, through. And Corder won a few main draw matches, didn't he? He played Rafa. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He got through to, to play his childhood hero. And we will come on to Sebastian Corder uh, in a moment. I Just because I mentioned him there, <laughs> wanted to touch on uh, Jack Draper making what I believe is his ATP Tour debut, although I can scarcely believe that in some ways. Um, but I've got written down that it might be his ATP Tour debut. Uh, he's playing... Has he not played in Queens? Maybe, he only played qualifying at, maybe he's only played qualifying at Queen's. I, I, you might be right, but of course, because the last year being off, I can't remember two years ago. I, I've got a feeling he had a qualifying wildcard rather than the main draw one, actually. I'll come so back you, to you, it. But... You might be right, but it's definitely his Masters debut, that's for sure. He's playing uh, Mikhail Kukushkin in the first round with a tie against Aslan Karatsev as his reward if he can beat him. Uh, Calvin kind of assess that matchup for us and tell us a little bit about Jack. You know, he was a, a pretty highly ranked junior, I seem to remember. Yeah, I think he was either world number one or maybe world number two juniors. Mm. Um, he's, he's, he's Britain's um, sort of standout talent along with, probably along with Anton Matusevic, who we spoke about earlier um, in that age group. They're both the same age. Um, they're the two sort of standouts. There been a lot of hopes pinned on them, probably Jack even more so, cause Anton's going to uni, he's not actually playing tennis full-time, so uh, it's a bit out of the blue that Jack got that wild card. He's not been in great form this year. Um, he's had a bit of in- injury struggles and that kind of thing, and um, also struggle for form when he has played. Uh, but Kukushkin is a great draw for him. I mean, a- anybody who's right, if you're playing a Masters series, you get somebody who's ranked 105. Um, that- that's the type of thing you want. Um, and he's not going to get blown away by Kakushkin either. Uh, and Jack's got a pretty big game himself, so he's going to get the, the game will be on his racket. Um, so yeah, let's. And he's very competitive. Is Jack? He's a great match player, um, a born competitor. And it wouldn't surprise me if, even though I said he's not in great form, it wouldn't surprise me if he beats Kakushkin one bit. I was just going to say on, on him getting a wild card. I mean, I think 
the, the amount of people who've dropped out. We we weren't far off the next round of wild cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Calvin's just strung a new racket. I think he yeah. definitely would have had a chance. Yeah, yeah. There are thereabouts. So, I believe um, it. I believe it is his ATP debut, by the way. There we go. Um, by played doubles just... main doubles main draw Wimbledon, I think, didn't he? Yeah. Right. But he. He's someone we, we, of course, famously watched, James, in one of our lovely ah, days yes. out at Fa- Court One famously, against famously the Goat. between you and me. <laughs> it's, it's famous in our friendship. It's famous in our friendship. We, we sat and watched uh, Jason Seng beat Jack Draper and yeah. started hailing Seng as the Goat because he had the well, same birthday we as Roger Federer. We thought, we thought Jack Draper might be the Goat and yeah. then he lost. So we were like, yeah. well, this, this bloke must be unbelievable. He, he was pretty good, Seng, to be fair. He played a very good match, but it, obviously he's, he's struggled to make that translate to the main tour with, uh, as people pointed out to me on the day when I called him the Goat, that his serve might not hold up to the uh, men's tour. So we he's got back eight. in our box quickly. He's 286 in the world. Oh, uh, the rise is coming. The rise is coming. It's probably I mean, higher than Jack, though, is it? Jack's back. Uh, yeah, Jack's days, just outside the 300, actually. Um, but but, but we yeah. didn't call Draper the goat, to be fair, Calvin. So, well, yeah, there's there's, there's levels to this game. <laughs> I was working for a tabloid newspaper at the time. I had to try and find a reason to be there. I could have called him the goat. I don't know. <laughs> um, let, let's, let's move on. Uh, I mentioned we were going to talk about Sebastian Corder because we wanted to look back at our um, Young Player of the Year selections uh we as you may remember as george always makes us do lots of predictions and this year he made us pick two players uh for to make progress in the game two young players uh, one man one woman to make progress in the game in 2020 we would assess them based on percentage ranking increase which i still don't think is a fair system but i can't devise a better one because i didn't do maths a level uh (laughs) the reason we're talking about it this week is because george's two have done quite well uh, Leila, that, that's the simple truth. Leila Annie Fernandez, George, you picked the, the Canadian. She was number 88 in the world at the beginning of the year. She's up to 69 uh, after picking up a tournament win in Monterey. She beat um, Victoria Golubic, I can't say her name, uh, the Swiss qualifier in the final. It wasn't, let's be honest, the, the field of finest quality, George. I think had Fernandez entered the same tournament this week, she'd have been like the fourth highest ranked player. Um, so, you know, it, a title is a title. I'm not going to take that away from her, but I think maybe not not the the great victory you're trying to sell it as. <laughs> yeah, well, I was about to come in and tell you this was the toughest title anyone's won all week, um, all year. Even fact. even Sarah Cerebes Tormo, the best player she played, wouldn't claim that. <laughs> yeah, but she won a title last week, so she was in form. Right. So it, I'm not giving you it, George. It was just, You're not it's, just it. it's just it's just not a big enough a level. Two, it's only a two fifty, wasn't it? So you know, it's not. Yeah, it's not. You know, the the strongest level, but it's good to get into that winning habit, that winning feeling. And what Layla has told me, <laughs> that's obviously a joke. She's not told me this, but just, for the, <laughs> just so that's clear, I am raising my eyebrows. But you know, what she has uh, told me in my head is that she's now going to take that form into the bigger stages and be a big threat in Miami. So. Quick flight over there, no problem. Roll through, win that title, and jump into the top 30, I reckon, by the end of next 10 days or whatever. Do Job you done. know who she's playing in Miami? Uh, I remember seeing it and thinking she should win. Mira um, Berzinescu. Yeah, she's going to win that, no problem. Well, she should, but she's got a very quick turnaround from winning a title. It's only, it's only, it's only a three-hour fly, isn't it? Come on. She's I got mean, this. yeah. 
she's in the right part of the world already, so I give some credit <laughs> for that. Um, your your man, I mean your man, make it sound My man. <laughs> your man, Lorenzo Massetti, has also had a very good week. Uh, he's into the top 100 for the first time in his career, up to 94. Yeah, this is a really good result, actually. Um, I kind of thought Layla would do some decent stuff on the hard court to start the year, so I wasn't, you know, I, I kind of needed her to have this result. It hadn't been quite perfect, but Lorenzo, we're on first name terms, obviously, me and Andrea <laughs> here. Um, I, I picked him for the clay court season. I thought he was going to have a, a big upswing there and capable of, like, reaching, you know, a Masters semi-final or whatever on clay. I think he's capable of doing that. Particularly, if we get any clay court Masters that are the same draw as this Miami Masters, Lorenzo says he's going to win a Masters. So, you know, I'm feeling even better now. Um, but, well, a long way round of saying is that Massetti, I wasn't expecting him to have massive results on hard. So for him to kind of turn up, hit a semi-final, beat Dimitrov, um, has filled me with extra confidence that he will now go and smash the clay even further than I had first thought and also pick up more points in the hardcore summer. So I'm actually pretty confident the men's draw is wrapped up here because I've okay. now got a whole year rather than just the three months I thought I had to beat you both. So There's only yeah, one trophy. It's a joint. It's just joint. You don't get oh, it's a joint trophy. trophy. Oh, yeah. well, that's controversial. I'm not sure well, about that. Well, it's not that. controversial. You asked me to pick, you had to pick two players. It's not. Yeah, but how, how are you deciding sport, that? Famously. Yeah, yeah, but how, how are because we deciding I'm, because that? Because I'm in charge. I no, 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 but I mean, no, 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 but I mean, like, are we taking it on the average percentage of the two? Like, what? What's well, it doesn't the... matter because we all have two players. Like, you could take aggregate percentage. Take right, well, well percentage. Calvin's in trouble then at the minute. Yannick Sinner's some, letting him down. I've got some serious question about this because for Sinner, if Sinner <laughs> Cine, moves from like thirty to twelve, that's like nowhere near like somebody moving. That the percentage of that is no. Is, well, that no, was the game. The, the percentage. <laughs> that's is why right, we picked. <laughs> The difficulty, the difficulty in moving from like thirty to twelve is way harder than moving from like ninety-eight to sixty-one. This was spelled out to you in the then, game. Of the yeah, rules. this was very that, clear. <laughs> and you, you chose to pick a guy already ranked thirty-six in the world. Uh, yeah, Calvin. If well, you I, 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 I went for the purity of the the game. I wasn't I wasn't trying to work a system like you two were. You, you, asked, me which, you asked me which young player I thought would have the best year, and it's Sinner. Okay, but <laughs> okay. Well, Yang but... Sinner. Unfortunately, you're wrong anyway because he hasn't had a very good year so far. Uh, you can say he's had bad draws, but he did lose to Aliaz Bedene, uh, which is yeah, is a very no poor there. result indeed. He ran Who's into Bedene playing for now. Like he's got he's, he's the sort of uh, a free agent of countries. He plays it? under <laughs> he plays under a grey flag yeah. as a free agent. Uh, no, I, I think he is back to his native Slovakia. I think that flag is. Um, but yeah, Yannick Sinner, a couple of quite poor results. You know, losing to Carrots okay. The guy's in ridiculous form, but losing to Bednay indoors is poor. He, he didn't even really lay a glove on, on Medvedev when he played in, in France as well. Uh, I mean, which part of the year is Yannick Sinner going to pull you out of trouble here, Calvin? Uh, I, he can play at anything. He, I've no no issue with him. I wouldn't. I don't think Clay was his best surface. Then he ended up making quarters for the French, yeah. was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, indoors, I think he's usually very good, but on the on the hard and that kind of thing. The only thing, what my main concern with Sinner is he keeps picking up these niggly injuries, um, mm. and needs to sort of show that he can win 
long matches back to back. Physically, I always still think he, he doesn't. He still looks like a bit like a boy, yeah, like a man. Um, he's very so sort of bow legged. He's got he's got yeah. those. He, you know, he, he looks like that kind of bloke who wasn't very good at PE at school. Like he doesn't look like a sports yeah. person. Um, he, definitely doesn't a, look like an definitely doesn't like an Italian sports person, does it? <laughs> no. No, my mum said that watching him last week. Uh, he is in Miami, by the way. Um, he's got a bye in the first round. Of course, he's going to play either Dominic Kupfer, who's in good form, or the wildcard Hugo Gaston, um, who he has already played this year and beaten uh, in France. So, uh, not a bad draw for him. So, c- can we just confirm what everyone's on in terms of percentage rise? Yes, absolutely. Cause... I was going to come to that. So, uh, George, you have a total percentage rise, an aggregate percentage rise of 48.8 percentage points so far this year. Leila Fernandez is up 21% and Leila Mazzetti is up 27%. Oh, you can't add them. Can you, don't you just take Well, average? I mean, it doesn't matter. It would, it would be the same thing. It doesn't matter. Because everyone's got two. It's, la- it's largely irrelevant. Um, it's not technically accurate saying it's a 48% rise, though, I suppose. I said percentage points. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, all right, all right, take it back, take it back, take it back. Yeah, okay. honestly, when it comes to arbitrary scoring systems, George, I am the king. <laughs> I invented half of them. Calvin, as we said, Yannick Sinner has only gone up five places, so that's only 13.9. But Anastasia Potokova has had a good year. She's into the top 100 for the first time, although she did start at 101, so, you know, cheating if you ask me. Uh, but it means that Calvin is up to... Uh, 39.6%. So not, not a million miles away in terms of percentage points. But in the lead, James Gray, the so-called tennis layman of the trio. Uh, <laughs> Clara Burrell, the French uh, player up from 236 to 182 in the world. And Sebastian Corder, who had a great start to the year, didn't go, chose not to go to Australia, um, but got to a final in America. Instead, uh, he went to France. He beat Joe Wilfred Songa, which is an unpopular victory. Uh, he then beat Marin Cilic in Mexico this week, which, OK, Marin Cilic is not the player he once was, but I kind of think he's at a stage of his career where, you know, we mentioned his game against Rafa Nadal um, in the French Open, where he was he was outmatched, obviously, but he was also, like, out-reputationed. He wasn't there to try and compete at the tennis match. He was there playing his childhood idol. So I still think it's a big deal when he gets on court with someone like Marin Cilic and beats him and beats him comprehensively, by the way, five and two, um, and then got bombed out by Felix Alvarez-Racine. But it could happen to anyone. George Corder. I, I, I actually wasn't going to say something on Corder, but I will say something on Corder after. But I was just going to say, just let's remember this is a marathon, not a sprint. And last time James Gray about, had the lead about five minutes ago, you were had a lead well on both of us. <laughs> James last had a lead on both of us in fantasy tennis and slipped to third where he belongs. So <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not also, worried about your early lead. <laughs> also, a bit, bit, bit curious about James picking somebody who's ranked two oh six and picking <laughs> Calvin's fuming here. I can hear, you, see the smoke coming out of his ears. What have you I, don't think what have have, you I don't think some people are playing in the spirit of the game, that's all. <laughs> but you know what the spirit of the game is? The spirit of the game is winning. The game all right, be Jose the game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Basically I'm in the lead and if I decide that it ends today. I, I will decide that. I am the arbiter and therefore can make those sorts of decisions. 
let's move on before I kind of arbitrarily just end the podcast because I'm winning. Um, look, we've mentioned a lot about Miami. Uh, it has been a problem. And that is, in fact, the, the title of the podcast live. Uh, welcome to Tony and Andreas, who've just joined us to listen live. Um, the reason it's called Miami Disaster is because it has been withdrawal central. Now, very naively, I imagine that Miami might be the beginning of the return to normality with, you know, men's and women's tournaments alongside each other, big stack field. And then someone just took a big red pen and started going through the entry list. Djokovic, gone. Federer, gone. Nadal, gone. Some other top 10 players have gone too. I think Berrettini's pulled out, and I know how gutted we all are about that. Um, but either way, Andy Murray is now in. I, I mean, I think he's still technically taking a wild card, but he could have got in on his ranking. He didn't need the wild card in the end because they got so far down the list of reserves that his ranking of, what, 109 or whatever it is in the moment was enough to get him in. Um, I think the lowest ranked player in is maybe Christopher O'Connell at 122, which, I mean, I'm not good on rankings and entries and things, but 122 in the world getting in automatically to a, a Masters 1000 event is pretty rare. George, there's been a lot talked about it this week by a number of people. Stefano Tsitsipas kind of hinted at a few things in a weird, cryptic way, which he often kind of does. Um, Denis Shapovalov has kind of been more explicit about it in the last couple of days. He said, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of withdrawals and a lot of people not going to tournaments because the prize money is low. Now, you mentioned a figure just before we came on air about how low the prize money is. What's the drop in prize money been? I've forgotten now. I think it was 65%. Wow. You are just, 65, you are wasn't unbelievable. it? Unbelievable. I'm, I'm Can I just really to advertise a vacancy in the Love Tennis podcast? <laughs> Pretty much anyone who knows anything about tennis would be an improvement on current staff. Uh, this message is brought to you by the executive producer of the Love Tennis podcast, James Gray, and arbiter of all games. Yeah, Six, so it's, 65. It's, it was, wasn't it? That, that was right. That was the number I had. Okay. No, it was seventy-eight percent. Was what you said. No, that's it? that's for the that's for the winner. Right. Okay. So sixty-five in total. Which, which, okay, to play devil's advocate, is perfectly fair. There's very few fans at the event. The the prize money worldwide has taken a massive hit. There's a global pandemic and recession going on. Of course, prize money is going down, isn't it? Yeah, um, I I think it's understandable. I think it's also understandable that. You're not going to attract guys like Federer and Nadal and Djokovic to play for that much money. Particularly, I think, when you consider where this tournament is in the calendar and its significance this year. You know, if Indian Wells was there as well, perhaps they might have been a bit more tempted to come over for a whole month to the States. But, you know, it's more difficult to travel with your family at the minute and your loved ones or whatever. It's going into a completely different continent with different rules and regulations to sit around in a hotel room for quite a long time in Miami, you know, is that really going to appeal to the very, very top guys to earn, you know, 80% less than what they'd expect to if they were winning it? Probably not. And is it building up to a grand slam? No. So what, would you go there for if you're one of those players? I think I think the biggest blow or the one I was most surprised about uh, actually was Serena, just because 
she's already in the States. Do you know what I mean? I, I kind of thought she... Well, to be fair, I mean... If she's had, like, orals. Statement of face value, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not... Oral surgery or something. Yeah. Um, the, what, what I'm just saying is that is that, that came as a surprise to me because I thought she would play. And obviously, I'm not saying there aren't legitimate reasons for her not playing, so I am taking the statement to be true. But I'm just saying I expected the others not to play, to be honest. I mean, Nadal hasn't played there since 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. 2017, I think, uh, when he lost to Federer in the final there. Um, Djokovic has been pretty upfront that he's not that bothered about playing anything now. He's passed Federer for the title. Uh, sorry, he said he's going to um, spend more time with his family at home. Yeah, and Federer had pulled, already pulled out quite a while ago. So, you know, I, I can't say I'm particularly surprised that it's happened this way around, to be honest. But then there's quite a few of them. I mean, uh, Denis Shapovalov not really shying away from it who have been complaining about it. He, say, he says, uh, I feel like there are other sports have been able to find solutions and keep ways to keep, sorry, find ways to keep prize money and keep their salaries. I feel like there are better ways to solve this problem and go about this on the ATP side. Now, what he's referring to, if I may, is the fact that prize money at lower level events has been returning to somewhere near normal levels. So they have what's called a minimum prize money level for these tournaments. And at 250 level, it's got to go back up to 80% now, and at 500 level, back up to 60%. So clearly, there's a lot of money being spread around, you know, this lower echelon of the game on the ATP tour. And I don't think that's totally unreasonable. And I think for top 10, 12, 15, 20 players to come out and say, well, I think we should be getting more prize money in the current climate, you know, Denis Shapovalov's career earnings... $20 $20 million, probably, off the top of my head. I haven't got it in front of me. I don't think it can be far off that. You're shaking your head at it. I, I don't think it'll be that high, but anyway, anyway oh, it doesn't six, really matter. I mean, $6 million, six, yeah. still a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, what I was going to say, I mean, quite often there's a bit of a, an economic fallacy with um, kind of tennis's situation as well compared to... It always is on the American side, this as well, or, you know, Canadian. Um because they look at their own leagues and sports as the same as the rest of the world or whatever. And, you know, the, the NBA or whatever, they, they, they're always comparing that money. But, you know, if they want to have that level of security and money that comes with it, they need to convince their pals, Roger, Rafa and Novak, to sign away their image rights to the ATP. And then mm. they can have a bigger collective pot. And then you wouldn't have Federer being the world's richest athlete. You know, you'd have... Yeah a wider pool of sharing it. So, you know, I, I do always think some of these economic arguments are quite um, poorly formulated. Um, are and you aimed telling... at the wrong people. Yeah, and, and I just think, you know, I, I, I'm not one to defend the big capitalist state or whatever, but, you know, the, there is no way this Miami Open is going to be making much money this year. Like, it's tennis isn't a sport that thrives on a massive audience for these events outside the slams um yeah. these events aren't making money um so i don't know i i think you're right and particularly for a young guy like dennis who i like a lot by the way i mean i'm not digging him out and he is honest to be fair mm. um and i don't think we should have a go play for being honest and don't get me wrong if i was having my own pay offered to be taken 80 percent off to go and sit in a hotel room and 
you know, not have a great time, yeah, I probably wouldn't be that happy either. But, you know, I think players are kind of misreading the room at the minute about how much sympathy is out there. It's in quite short supply. Um, and, you know, so we spoke a bit about Benoit Pair last week. You know, how many people are really going to be rocking up being like, oh, it's such a hard life, you can't go out clubbing in all these different countries in the world. I do have a slight bit of sympathy for that because it feels like a bit of a microcosm of our own lives. But, you know, it's, it is it is difficult when you're moaning about prize money that's still around $300,000 for two weeks' work, you know, compared to most people aren't earning anywhere near that. Um, mm. So, yeah, you know, it's it's not really a, a great look for tennis again to be going down this route. But I'm sure we'll be hearing more and more about it all the time because it, it never stops. Calvin, I, I know it wound you up a bit to see players complaining about not making enough prize money. Yeah, the top end of the game, there's, there's no sport that is skewed as badly as tennis is for money at the top, uh, where the, the sort of where the money funnels to. Yeah, mm. for, for anyone who doesn't know, that the bottom rung of the tennis, there's three rungs of tennis, really. There's, there's main tour, challengers, futures. The, the prize money in futures tournaments, which is the bottom rung, has not increased since 1994. They get the same amount of money for, for winning for getting second round, for getting semis, as they did in 1994. So, so for and, and bear in mind how much everything else has increased since then. That, that's that, that I'm not. That's literally the same amount of money. So in mm. 1994, they got I think it's something like in most countries after tax. I think if you win a futures tournament or a satellite as it was then, you get about 1,300 pounds or 1,300 dollars. <clears throat> sorry, and that's what it was in 1994. Um, so for the guys at the top to be complaining about not getting paid enough at these events, their real paydays are at the slams anyway. They're going to come in and they're going to get really, they're going to get paid at the slams. And even if it's a bit shorter now, next year it's back to normal, right? So that it won't affect mm. Denis Shapovalov's Denis Shapovalov's life at all. What he's going to do, he's still a very very wealthy man, and he's still going to make a fortune in his career. It, it, I, I just find it abhorrent that, that they're arguing about the, the, the prize money. Every single person in the world, well, not every single person, most people in the world have had to take a hit on how much money they earn in the last 12 months. Hmm. I couldn't disagree with you. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I couldn't disagree, sorry, I couldn't agree with you. I, said, I couldn't disagree. <laughs> I was getting ready for that. That was going to be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I, was, I was just trying to look up the average wage in 1994 and wonder how much it had gone up in that time, you know, compared to it not going up at all at, at futures events. I mean, look, the, the tennis economic pyramid is broken. It has been broken for quite a long time. We've talked about it before on this show. Um, the ATP have done, I think, a pretty good job in kind of trying to soften some of that broken pyramid and turn it more into a sort of semicircle during the pandemic. Uh, and they seem to be getting a lot of flack for doing that. Yeah, I think as well... well the argument to this kind of thing is for the lower ranked players as well. They shouldn't be ranked 800 in the world then. Like if they're not, if they're ranked 800 in the world, they don't deserve any more. But when you break it down for sports, like compare it with football, for example, who's the 800 best footballer in the world? Now that doesn't mm. sound great, but the 800 best footballer in the world probably plays for one of the top six teams in the Premier League now. You know, there's mm. a chance that he plays for Leicester or something like that, and he's earning 120 grand a week. Or something mm. like you know, you know, around that. So it's not beyond the that. 
Yeah, or, or you know, in basketball or golf, the eighth eighth hundred ranked golfer in the world will earn a lot more money than the eight hundred ranked tennis player who doesn't make any money. For example, yeah. you don't make any money in tennis. You're lucky to break even in tennis if you're outside of three hundred. Wow, which is why, which is why you talked about Ali Azbedne earlier. You know, changing flags. That's why players do it. You know, that players don't change flags because they prefer yeah. wearing or representing a certain country. They do it to go and find yeah. funding somewhere else, right? Yeah, there's certain governing bodies that are wealthier than the others. We know who they are. They're the Grand Slam nations that type of thing, who, if you can find a link to them and they're willing to help you out, they're not going to give them money, but they'll do things, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll give them training bases, that kind of thing. They'll allow them physio use. I don't think, mm. I don't think Great Britain was paying Alias Bedenay to, be, uh, to be a British player, but he did get, he probably did get use of the NTC and he got all the sports science that came with that. I would say the, uh, the most transferred to nation that pops to my head is probably Kazakhstan. Off the top of my head, I well, say. yeah, I think they are main players. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know. It reminds me of a really big scandal in athletics, where basically um, petro states were going to Central and Northern Africa and like just yeah. plucking people, pretty much, and you know making offers that they couldn't refuse. And then when they spent two years in whichever petro state you care to name, and decided that actually they they wanted to see their family again they realised that actually that wasn't an option anymore and they were required to stay put. Um, I'm not suggesting for a minute that the Kazakhstan Tennis Association is doing that for anybody. Um, But go on, George. Well, I was going to say, on on Kazakhstan, their um, president or prime minister is a massive, massive tennis fan and has invested incredibly heavily, so much so that... uh, The reason I know so much about the Kazakhstan tennis situation is, of course, because Britain have played them. Um, quite a few times in Fed Cup yeah, and Davis Cup times, um, and so the, and you <laughs> you realise quickly how much money's in there based on the the army of people who were sent over. <laughs> so you've got <laughs> groups of journalists flown over, like there's probably like, like a twenty strong group of journalists sent over yeah. who, at the end of press conferences, would hold a big flag up at the back of the press conference. <laughs> um, you know. It was great, but they're all really nice uh, people, and you could see they they had like a massive band coming over and stuff. And it was, you know, I'm not saying they paid for every single person to come over, but let's just say it was a an abnormal uh, away crowd who really. It was trending on Twitter, so I don't know if I can say flag shaggers and and suggest that that's what we're talking about here. But just you know, I don't know what it means, but I was minded of it. Um, We should talk about Andy Murray, who is one of the few people who is actually playing. Uh, in Miami. Uh, as I mentioned, he's got Lloyd Harris. Also, some people call him George Harris. I believe his name is George Lloyd Harris. And he goes, yeah, you're looking at me funny, George, but there are some live I didn't know that. Yeah, they call him that. George Harris. It's, it's very confusing. I thought for a while they were different people. Um, but his name is Lloyd George Muirhead Harris. Um, he's South African. He's at a career-high 52 off the top of my head. Um he got to the final in Dubai uh, and lost to Aslan Karatsev. He's obviously got a big serve. I always tend to think in the old days anyway, Calvin, that drawing a big server is a pretty good thing for Murray, given that he is one of, if not the elite returner in the game. Um, Lloyd Harris, a decent matchup, even for Murray in current kind of current state. 
Yeah, I think game style wise, it's it's not a bad matchup for for Murray. Um, I think the more, what would be more of a concern was, would be the form that Harris is on. Um, he's, he's just he's just made a final of a tournament, obviously, and he's playing really well. Um, but I think it'd be an interesting. It's another it's another good barometer, isn't it, of where Murray's at? You know, Harris is probably a, a genuine kind of a good representation of somebody who's around about fifty in the world. So yeah. we get we get to have a good look at right. Let's see where Murray is compared to the guy who's fifty in the world. Um, you know, nobody thinks he's when he's you know if he was to play against I don't know City Pass or something. Nobody thinks Murray's currently five in the fifth best player in the world. But let's see how he do, let's see if he is fifty. I think if this <clears throat> if this draw was made any time other than with this week preceding it, we'd be looking at this like great draw, perfect yeah. draw. Um, I, I I don't think even with last week I don't think we should describe Lloyd Harris as in what I would call great form. He's had a great week. Um, he's not had yeah. an amazing year. You know, I've had people quoting it, quoting. I tweeted the draw out earlier and had people quoting him like, "Oh, it's an awful draw for Andy." I mean, it's not like it's really not. No. Okay, he's like he's beat last week. Don't get me wrong, he did really well. He beat Team Nishikori, Shapovalov. Um, you know. Team and Nishikori are totally out of form. Shapovalov's had some pretty dodgy match, you know, matches he should have got over the line and he should have beaten Harris here, really, and then Carrots has rolled him. Um, so, I, you know, I think from Murray's perspective, you have to walk in and think, I'm going to win this. Um, and I, I think Murray should win it. And uh, this, we're getting to the point with Murray already where, you know, I've been very patient with him, but he has to start putting his money where his mouth is and winning this sort of match. And, you know, I think he will win. That's going to be my bold prediction this week. I'm not going to sit on the fence. <laughs> Thanks, I'm, going to say, I'm going to say he's going to beat Lloyd Harris. Um, and I think he's going to beat him in straight sets. Comfortably. Wow. And he's not going to lose five points, Lloyd Harris. <laughs> we'll stop in straight sets. I mean, I if you say... So... Go on, sorry, James. I was no, no, no. When he, was, when he was in the last few weeks when he's played... He's not starting much as well, and he's, he always feels like he's like backs against the wall and having to sort of come back from behind. And but he's never been a good starter, has he? He's always been a bit of a rubbish starter, Murray. So and I, I think, think he important. needs it. Yeah, I, mean, I sometimes think... think he needs that needle. And losing yeah. is the only needle he can find. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think in the current situation as it is, he can't keep going behind. No, um, just from a physical point of view, he can't keep coming from a set behind. For starters, you know, mm. so I think he's going to have to learn to say learn to. He's going to have to start better in matches than than he, he always has done. I guess he has a slight advantage, or it's not advantage. Everyone has it, but this week should suit him a bit better. Miami has played over ten days, eleven days, rather than yeah. just you know a couple. So he can play. He's going to play alternate days, I would assume, for at least the first three rounds. And, and frankly. Yeah. You know, he's got Roberto Bautista and Goot waiting for him in the second round. So if he gets into the third round, I think that's a, I would count that as a massively positive uh, week because Bautista and Goot's not playing. I know he's a, a kind of nothing player. I know we kind of slightly unfair, but he is. He is. He's, he hasn't. No, come on. Tell me, tell me Roberto Bautista and Goot's weapon. He doesn't have one. He doesn't his, have a weapon. His, his durability. His indomitability I, um, of spirit. I um, a, a particular British player takes me last week furious that um, 
a commentator had described Batista Ragut as an all-court player. Um, and he was livid that how inaccurate that was, that he's definitely not an all-court player. I mean, he's he's got to... A, did he get to a semi-final of the US Open and made that up? No, that was no, that's the other one. <laughs> yeah. The other one. <laughs> Public arena booster, isn't it? You love mixing those two up. It's bad as well because I've interviewed Roberto (laughs) Batista Agu at length, and he's a really nice, if not particularly, you know, he's a really nice guy. Um, And he was really sweet, and we talked about Villarreal, and like, you know, it was fun. But apparently, the best footballer on tour. Hmm. So, yeah, he, did, he did. His dad played football to a very good level. His dad sadly passed away during yeah. the Davis Cup. Um, he played football to a very good level um, uh, for I cannot remember which club. Maybe Deportivo La Coruña. Um, and he, Roberto was his his dad was his football coach for a long time, yeah. and then they kind of realised that it wasn't going to work out, so they made tennis more serious. But that's interesting. I mean, maybe maybe that's what he should be doing. Maybe he has some weapons on the football pitch. <laughs> Um, we've we've almost gone over our allotted time, um, which means I can throw it open to well, what I call any other business, but what everyone else calls George's ramble time. Uh, George, what have, what have you got for us? I was just going to say, I think there were a few people we just missed off the honours list this week. So well done to Daria Kasatkina, her um, second title of the year, I believe. Yeah, good to see yeah. her back in form. She was kind of up to. 14 or around top 10 before and then kind of dropped off a bit but she seems she to pull an, herself back together and inexplicable just you know I, I was actually writing something about her um, yesterday and I was kind of you know doing a little bit of like what's going on here you know what what was the trigger for this like she went from like 19 in the world to like 300 and there wasn't one as far as anyone could tell she just seemed to have a bit of a crisis of confidence but she seems to have come back from that. She's changed coach, but that kind of didn't help. And, you know, things, things have come back. Um, so, yeah, yeah, good to see her winning. She picked up a title. I've forgotten where. St. Petersburg. That yes, one? it was in Russia, yeah. It was um, in Russia. Seven out of eight quarterfinalists for Russian. <laughs> Popular um, tournament. And the other, I was just going to say, from it was a decent week for British people in the doubles. I think we had the Skupskis winning a the title. The Skupskis are back. And they beat a decent pair, didn't they? They beat big, was it Cabal Farah? Was it? Or was no, it was it Cabal? No, it was uh, Grenoyers and who's Grenoyers it? Oh, Arna, who is? You're right. You're there. right. But they beat. I am right. They beat. But they you they beat Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez was the real standout match, uh, based on the fact that Jamie sacked him off uh, <laughs> in the last year. So that was a good one. And also beat Jay Salisbury and Rav Jeev Ram. So you know it's not been a the not easy win yeah great week um, I, I never and, understand how I never understand how Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram are not number one doubles pair they seem to be in the final of every single doubles tournament well, they were one point away from it last year well, in the ATP finals if so they was kind of about fifth when I see them yeah they, they, they if they'd have converted match point in the semi-finals they would have been uh, year end number one but they just missed it and then they didn't they, what did they get? Did they? Um, God, my brain has completely lost my head here. They didn't. They didn't defend the Australian Open, did they? They only reached the final, um, so they probably yeah, dropped yeah. points since then. Yeah. They're thirteenth um, and fourteenth in the world now. But at the same time, yeah, that's but, what I mean. They're, they're surely better than. But they'll be players. higher as a pair, aren't they? Are they not? Well, they always play. I, do, them, I, so... I doubles rankings really confuse me. 
Yeah, they yeah, because people will have mixed up and around in the top lot. So the yeah, you need to look at the two. They'll probably be like all I all I can five. tell you is is where they are individually the singles, yeah. on the doubles rankings, which is just obviously insane. Uh, Horatio Zabaios is uh, Grenoble's partner. Just on that, J- Jamie, Jamie's actually not great ever against his former partners. You, you, I remember when he, <laughs> when he used to play with um, Eric Buterak, and then I think he took a couple of hits with him when he sacked Buterak off. And then he played with John Piers, and then Piers left him. And I think then Piers had a couple of results against him, and now, um, now yeah, Ken's, uh, sorry, Neil's uh, took a win against him. It's one to maybe get into on a on a quiet week, but there is maybe something in that. I remember a story about Jamie Murray, like being told to unleash his forehand when he was training, and just having no ability to take it on board. And someone had messed with basically his. It was a coach when he was a bit younger. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they'd really messed with the, ex, right. Exactly. There is a greater story here, and it makes me think Jamie Murray, as interested as I am in him. There's something, there's something in his head which I think he's maybe never quite fixed. That if someone or something gets into his head, he he seems to struggle to to get it out again. Um, <laughs> anyway, just George. Before I give my last congratulations, I was just going to say at the minute the doubles race is quite good for Brits, um, which would be quite funny in terms of now it's just left the UK. But at the minute we've got three teams in there. Um, Rajiv How Brown. does that work for the Olympics? So it's highest ranked, get... highest ranked doubles player chooses who they want to play with, I think. So currently so, that is Joe. So Joe, yeah, because Joe in theory could like choose Jamie and split him away from Andy or could choose Andy. Um, I mean, realistically, they'll have a conversation. How many doubles play with. pairs do we get in? Is it not limited to the country? I thought we'd only get one in, but I, I can't remember. Is it? I'm pretty sure it's more than one. I'm pretty sure okay. it'll be like... Yeah, I think it's more than one. Based think, on... Like, three. Three, I think. I'm, I'm not 100% okay. sure. Yeah. Stuart Fraser is the man well, to ask these questions. Ideally, He's Olympics nut. Right. Ideally, you'd have the Skupskis playing together, the Murrays playing together, but then the best doubles player is none of those. So goodness knows who Joe, Joe Solsby would end up playing with. But I, I guess Johnny, I just, o, Johnny O'Mara would be next. Johnny O'Mara, I see Dom Inglis ranked one place ahead of him, but that obviously could change. Could always um, take one of the singles I mean, guys as well. Don't forget. Could take Dan or someone or not, like. Yeah, Dan or Norrie. Is Dan um, that a doubles player? He's quite good, yeah. He normally yeah. plays... Um, he's normally sort of... When he's out of a slam, he normally hangs around and plays doubles. Uh, Norrie's mm. quite good as well. Dan was once due to play me in doubles, James. I don't know if I've told you that before. Uh, no, this is the closing story. This is a closing story. Um, yeah, when I was 18 and playing in the uh, Birmingham club doubles scene, um, I was about to play up for the first team. So I, I played for the club who were like the top club in Birmingham. They right. won the title like the last four years or something. So I, I was playing twos and then would occasionally play up to the first, kind of blooded into the first team sort of sort of vibe. Um, <laughs> and... One of the times I was being blooded up uh, was an away match in Solihull. Mm. Um, and I had to pull out because I just ruptured my shoulder. Um, as you wow. as well know, I'm very injury prone. Yes, um, you are made of so glass. I, I'd played in the club championships a, a week before and had to play the semi-final underarm serving. <clears throat> anyway, I was meant to go to Solihull to play, had to pull out. 
and who turned up that night but Dan Evans, the world number 300 at the time or something, he decided to muck around and come and play this Birmingham club doubles match. So we were we were due to face off and it was a match that never quite happened. So and he missed up. out on it. He missed he out missed on it. Can you imagine that one day? Imagine losing to me and then permanently have having you ever to chat this about up it. I tried to in a bar once, but I think we were too drunk to actually have the conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I will have it with him next time I see him, I'm sure. Um, okay. it, just before we go, well done, Heather Watson as well, finalist of doubles um, with Zeng Seise. And when I say that name, I, wanted, a... I always want to sing that song, uh, <laughs> Watch Me Whip, Watch Me Seise. <laughs> you know maybe, maybe maybe refrain, just for everyone's sanity. No on one that needs note. that. Yeah, on that, that's a on note show, to go out on. What an end! We have we have to leave you. Um, we will talk next week because we neglected to this week about um, some interesting news from the LTA and a All England club about wild cards um, for junior national champions into Wimbledon qualifying, which was my story in the eye this morning. Um, but we will talk about it another time because we've run out of time. Uh, if you're listening back on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, please do leave us a review. It's really helpful. It helps people find us. Uh, and it's important for our self-confidence and general self-esteem. I've been James Gray, he's been George Belshaw, and he's also been Calvin Beton, but they are two different people, and we'll see you next week. See you later, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.